It's Talking in Stations. I'm Matt Earl. We're going to be talking about Bastions of War today, which is a new update for Marauders. So we'll look in on that. We have uh, quite a little selection of people here that I'll get to in just a second. Uh, we'll also be talking a little bit about uh, some of the stuff going on in Ignitant, get you updated on that situation, and then a little bit of NullSec news as well. So with me today, we have a full panel. Um, Ashtarothi is here. Greetings, fellow Empyreans. I am Ashtarothi, and it is a lovely day to be sitting in this paladin, let me tell you. Hateless is here as well on camera. Hello, guys. How are you doing today? All right. Off camera, we have Gregorin. Hello. And we also have Tiberius uh, for wormholes. And a wonderful frozen Thursday evening from Texas. Good, <laughs> ladies Good and gentlemen. Good Lord. Good Lord. Hang in there, That's man. Right. Yeah, we're all we're all thinking warm thoughts for you. There's a few other guys uh, from TIS and and fans too that have contacted us from Texas, and we want you all to be as warm as possible uh, until yeah you thaw out officially on the weekend. Okay, uh, before we get started, there is a little bit of news yesterday that we didn't cover. And that was, Gordon, maybe you can help me out, but uh, what happened yesterday in uh, the 1DQ area? There was a fight in AWA. Most of the fight was uh, uh, carriers shooting each other's fighters and super carriers. Both sides actually brought in super carriers, which is very unusual since the Imperium usually doesn't use their super capital fleet off of, out, away from the M2 Keepstar nowadays. Right, they were fighting over um, Sino Jammers, I think. Uh, at least that's what I heard. And and Pappy managed to yeah. destroy two out of three. That, that, Go on. Yeah, that, there was a. They were fighting over Sino Jammers. Uh, the Imperium uh, won the objective and came a, a somewhat ahead in the ISK value. Mm-hmm. Right. All right, um, but it was. I, I think it was well understood that that was the Imperium's day. They did. They yeah. pretty much won that day. Yeah. Uh, after uh, after the fight uh, in Horde, they pinged out that even though we win most things, we can't win everything, and the Imperium will win some things. Well, like that. Yeah. God, that's so it, humble. Well, it's my. <laughs> It is my understanding that it's difficult to process this as being anything else besides a win. Uh, they, the Imperium did pretty good uh, in the Isk War. And from my understanding, while Pappy did manage to destroy two of the Sinojammers, ultimately the Imperium were, allowed, were able to clear away Pappy's replacements and therefore, I believe, be able to re-anchor their own. So in the end, basically nothing changes for the actual system itself. Yeah, well, it's also, um, there was also a little uh, argument that happened afterwards because Pro God Legend had said, oh, yeah, well, uh, CCPs didn't allocate the server resources properly. And that was picked up and seen as an excuse or excuse making by the Imperium. So they went after him for that. And, uh, and then a, a GM of all people came out and said, look, we don't talk to players about uh, server issues. 
That's not something we well, do. Someone posted a GM's correspondence, which is, by the way, against the rules. So I don't recommend this under. Any oh, conditions. that's a good point. That it was somebody. But somebody had yeah. posted a GM what was allegedly a GM correspondence, and then CCP convict later made a Reddit post saying that that post was incorrect. So... That's a very important detail that you just put it out because the reason that CCP doesn't allow you to print their correspondence with you is for situations like this where it causes a big to-do that turns out to be a to-do about nothing. And they recently, they being CCP, have kind of eased back on that saying, look, you can post correspondence with us, just not sensitive stuff and use your best judgment. So that's a very interesting thing because um, that was, I imagine, a personal correspondence with a GM then. Anybody well, know? I mean, allegedly, um, you know, like I said, this is this was a screenshot. So, yeah. I mean, for all we know. Well, it could have been uh, public too. Yeah. I, I'm, I, I have no actual idea whether or not that is verified. Well, he, he even scribbles out his name. It's like an email to him from the GM. Um, yeah. But either way. Um, well, this is an important CSP point. Convict said, CSP no, convict said, wait, wait, wait. Before you get to the fix, this okay. is an important point. This is why CCP doesn't want you printing their correspondence because you can create a big drama, drama llama thing, right? And it drags them in and now everybody's mad and they have to come in and correct the situation. So if you want to be able to print what CCP says, do not screw them up with these kinds of things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Regardless of how you feel about the matter, the actual act of, of publishing GM correspondences is also against the rules. And even though that may feel like some sort of Orwellian level of, of rule, you know, it's, it's against the rules to break the rules or whatever, then, <laughs> but there, there's a reason why it is because, uh, you know, these things are supposed to be individual almost confidential matters ccp will clarify it publicly when they're uh, the way that they choose to and in this case uh he says that they will be adding an article to the help center in order to ensure that they're this is cl clear but effectively the short of it is is that yes of course ccp communicates with with uh people including csm members about uh the the server and and how it gets set up and whatnot uh, if nothing else then to better coordinate to ensure that things um, things go as smoothly as possible. Yeah. Right. The, and the server yesterday was clearly under a lot more stress than usual. Like, I I had a, a lot of ses session change timers at the time since I was, uh, in addition to having characters in fleet for that, I was also moving stuff from the Sotillo to the Keepstar and a lot of docking and undocking for that. And that was a lot more trouble than I've ever had to deal with doing that. All right. So there was a lot of um, server lag. And then that uh, comment came out from uh, Pro God Legend that was seized upon as him being called a liar, which was pretty harsh, but I could see why they did it. And uh, the GM kind of came out and backed that up that, look, you know, uh, well, he didn't come out, but something was posted that he said, hey, look, we don't talk to guys about that sort of thing. Therefore, ProGod should never have known that the servers weren't allocated properly. How could he possibly know? And right. uh, caught up in that was Brisk Rubal, who also doubled down on on that rhetoric, I, I think. And so when the when Convict came out and said, 
look, guys, what the GM wrote wasn't completely accurate. Let's explain this a little bit. We do it to the extent that we're comfortable. How about that? And that kind of made the made the situation a little clear. We kind of knew that anyway, but nobody that knew that wanted to talk about it because it's kind of a known thing and you don't want to talk about what CCP does uh, out loud in these situations because it's kind of a gray area. Uh, so the people that knew were kind of quiet and they put pressure on CCP to make a public statement to clear it up because there's a lot of confusion. So to get everybody on the same page, CCP talks to FCs about server performance to the extent that they are comfortable talking to them about that. They want to give them no advantage, but they're customers and it's kind of a customer service question as they're playing the game. So I hope that makes it a little clear. Um, Go, I uh, think, oh, sorry. Tiberius, go ahead. Uh, a good example of this is any, generally any time. I remember when um, the, evic- the the big World War wormhole eviction was going on um, with uh, Exuki's Corp. And I remember that the attackers and defenders had both uh, sent notifications to CCP. And the, you know they said, hey, can you reinforce this note? And then they would send back a, you know, some kind of correspondence and say, yes, we've re- reinforced this note. And that's all that they said. And I remember also way back when, um, when you would send information, you would send a request to CCP and be like, hey, um, is this node reinforced? And they would say either, yes, this node is reinforced. And that was the end of the conversation. Or be like, no, we accidentally reinforced uh, node XYZ instead of A, B, and C. So, and then, you know, now it is reinforced and it should be fine. And that's it. That was really the beginning of the end of the conversation. Like you said, I feel like it's more of a, um, the customer service thing rather than a, uh, you know, people getting, gaining an advantage sort of. Yeah. Speak. Well, here, here's the problem. Posting that GM saying, see pro gods lying is leveraging CCP against another player. And that is what they want to avoid. So in the end, when it got cleared up, it just went back and forth between Brisk and ProGod Legend about who was lying and who wasn't lying. And it really just looks bad on everybody. But ProGod got the best line when he said, look, if I'm wrong about any of the stuff I said, I'll eat crow or chicken wings, preferably. (laughs) He's known for eating chicken wings. What can I say? All right, go ahead. I see three different things as being kind of of particular importance to this issue. Uh, one, this is pretty late in the war at this point. Um, the, we are definitely past where a lot of the optimists thought that this was going to be towards some sort of like conclusional point um, with arguably uh, no or no real clear end uh, direction towards the end in sight. Um, so we're getting to that stage in the war where things start to get nasty, especially when it comes to the propaganda. It is incredibly important to both sides to convince the other side that they are losing and fail cascading and that they should give up and stop believing in their leadership and just go play a different game and it's not even worth it. Go be in high sec and be a puppy or something. It'll be great. Like If they can convince their other side to do that, then that's how they win. So as we get into this, these kind of, it's just like the, with the other uh, propaganda that came out accusing the goon swarm of making a whole bunch of like alts in order to pad their numbers it's it's going to take a while for us to figure out how much of any of this is any true or anything like that but at this late stage in the war these kinds of of control of the narrative 
um, is what's going to help affect like or they see this as being kind of the deciding factor of the war. The second problem or piece of it is what I call the CSM problem, which is that both Brisk and ProGod are CSM members or um, uh, you know, have been CSM members, uh, which means that they are assumed to have privileged information. CSM members uh, have a no con or a non-disclosure agreement with CCP, which means that they get information that we don't. Now, whether or not that means they get any given information, uh, we don't necessarily know. And that's kind of one of the problems here. But that's why like when Brisk post something on Reddit, it's, it, you know, on the one hand, he's got this like over the top kind of character of like ba Baghdad Bob-esque kind of character that he likes to do where he's, uh, you know, when he's in, in so, like the media area. Um, but when people see that and kind of contribute, like think of it as like a CSM member that has CSM level of understanding of the situation, then that causes something like, later on CS CCP coming in contradicting him as being seen as like, hey, wait a minute, was that you being like literally just lying to people or like with this ProGrad legend, like in, in these issues, because of their privileged position, it makes them uh, the, like scrutinizing of these issues even more like uh, intense and important and a big mm -hmm. of a deal. Um, and then finally, the third piece of this is the fact that there's huge player speculation in all of this. I saw all kinds of conspiracy theories about how the nodes were mapped based on where the tie-dye was happening and whether or not CCP mapped things wrong and all these kinds of things. And ultimately, it reminds me of like back in the day, uh, back in World of Warcraft, there was this uh, old boss named Anixia, and everyone was convinced about how what would cause her to do this special thing called deep breath, which was super dangerous, and everybody wanted to avoid it. And so everybody had their theories about what it was. And so everybody jumped through all these different uh, hoops in order to make it happen. Um, but ultimately, it was revealed you know, years later that it was 100% random. And so the key here is, is that players will see patterns even where there aren't. And so especially when we're talking about trying to uh, explain the success or failure of a military conflict, uh, we're going to see some pretty wild speculation, potentially. All right. Well, we took a lot more time on that than I wanted to. Uh, but the important thing to note there is that uh, CCP will talk to players about server issues only to the extent they are comfortable, and CCP wants no uh, wants no part in advantaging or disadvantaging disadvantaging anyone. Uh, so keep that in mind and be fair towards uh, the company that makes Eve Online. There you go. Okay, Bastions of War, Ashtarathi, tell us about this new update. Yeah, so this was an announcement that was dropped on us uh, today, and I believe it was it's now also live on uh, Singularity, although it will be coming to Tranquility hopefully within the next couple of weeks. Uh, it is Bastions of War, which is a focus primarily on Marauders, but it also has a couple of extra bonuses, including something that uh, is really interesting for a lot of different reasons, but we'll go to that in a second. So first of all, the main feature, Marauders, Marauders are the Tech 2 battleship um, that is mostly focused on uh, PVE long-term expeditions. They, they have less turrets, they have huge cargo bays, long tractor ranges, and they have uh, the ability to micro jump drive more frequently than, nor than most other ships do, so they can jump around and be more mobile than normal battleships are. And, and finally, they get this module that they can use that's called the Bastion module. And the Bastion module uh, gives it really good tank 
and and increases its range, um, but it makes it so it can't move anywhere for 60 seconds. Well, with this update, we're going to get a change. And unlike a lot of the other more subtle changes that we've gotten recently, this one is huge. Basically, it is, they are adding a new bonus to the Bastion module. They're not taking away any of the pre-existing pre bonuses. Um, uh, there is some balance, but we'll get to that in a second. But they are adding a 50% reduction in rate of fire time. In other words, they are literally doubling the damage because they're doubling your rate of fire um, of all Marauders using a Bastion module. Um, this is a really big deal. Um, a lot of Marauders, honest, honestly, even Marauders that have a Bastion module will spend a lot of their time out of Bastion because there's no damage bonus. So as long as the guys are within range, often you will stay out of Bastion if you don't need it for the tank. Uh, this changes everything. This makes my Paladin over 2k DPS, etc., etc. Um, however, with that, there is a nerf. This nerf is that the Bastion module, which was 60 seconds, is now 90 seconds, which is considered to be one of the more controversial points of all of this, because the Marauder actually has a specific bonus that makes the micro jump drive also be two minutes. So these two numbers, or sorry, one minute. So these numbers match up the Bastion length and the micro jump drive length. But now the Bastion will last for 30 seconds longer than your micro jump drive uh, spool down. That makes some people upset, but we'll have to figure out how to deal with it. Uh, in addition to this, some people have noted that the Chronos uh, and the Paladin will uh, be cap. Will have cap issues with this rate of fire. Although CCP Rise has posted that they are looking to address this prior to it being released uh, to the public. There is a question of the fact that there is no rate of fire bonus apparently for uh, the Golem. Uh, no missile rate of fire bonus uh, in addition. But I suspect this is an oversight. But we may we need to get more information about that. Um, in addition to this. Also, the uh, CCP Rise pointed out that the Marauders did not get the lock range bonus that they that the battleships got in a previous pass, and therefore will be getting the 20%, I think, increased lock range bonus as part of this. So let's get on to what's beyond just Marauders. In addition to Marauders, we have uh, some more or less buffs. I think 100% buffs to Interdictors, the Eris, Flycatcher, and Heretic. All are gaining uh, hip. Well, Flycatcher and Heretic are getting hit point bonuses. The Eris is getting a reduction in the mass penalty um, of plates. Uh, that that bonus is being increased, which is actually really interesting because Eris is the only ship that has a mass penalty uh, uh, bonus like that. And they're getting a rate of fire, so DPS bonus as well. So DPS bonus for the Eris, tank bonus, uh, uh, and sorry, DPS and maneuverability bonus for the Eris, and uh, tank bonus for the Flycatcher and Heretic. And then the Revelation. Someone needs to explain to me what is going on with this revelation change. We are <laughs> seeing a uh, uh, just over 10% uh, nerf in the power grid of the of the revelation from 780,000 to 700,000 megawatts. But at the same time, they're reducing the power grid need and CPU need of all of their weapon systems, or at least no, the beam lasers. Oh, the beam yeah, lasers. It's a nerf to pulse weapons. Got it. Okay, that's what yeah. that's I'm like, why are they? Re why reduce the power grid only to then reduce the need of the power grid? But that makes more sense. It's a it's a pulse grid. It's a pulse. It's so if your rev is going to be up close, it now needs to sacrifice something because it doesn't have a quite enough power grid 
to keep all of those pulse guns going. Revelation is generally considered to be the strongest dreadnought, and most of the time uh, dreadnoughts use close-range weapons, so this is a nerf to the normal fit of a Revelation. But since uh, Titans actually fit uh, long-range usually, it's also sort of a buff to the Avatar, which is widely regarded as really frustrating to fit because you need faction guns for your to fit them usually. Oh, that's so an interesting is, point. So is the XL um from when I initially read this, I thought the XL beam power grid need was specifically for the revelation. Is this confirmed that the uh No, it's on the gun itself. It's on the, the weapon. The gun itself. itself. Okay. Yep. That's mm-hmm. interesting I, that they put it under the revelation itself. You can see, yeah, because uh, you can see it on Hoboleaks. So, uh, oh, for instance, the good... dual Giga Beam Laser 1 power grid usage has gone from 16.2500 to 15.2500. Gotcha. That's an important yeah, so, clarification, I would think. Um, I think yeah. uh, it, that must have been a CCP oversight. I think this is, to me, when I saw this initially, it was like, okay, so this is a direct nerf to the Revelation Dread Bomb. So um for those who aren't familiar like the number one um the number one dread bomb comp is I believe it's a two plate um emergency hall energizer uh dread with or a revelation um with pulse lasers so you put two plates on it and essentially to last as long as you possibly can plus the hull energizer and then you you know put up maybe one or two tank modules plus you know two maybe three um damage modules and then you know if you essentially get into hull you hit emergency hull energizer and then you try to last out as long as you possibly can and then that's your dread bomb um to me whenever i look at this that's a direct nerf to that play style because that has been the predominant way of using dreads and dread bombs for a long time um obviously other people do other things with dread bombs for sure i'm not trying to i'm trying I, I'm not trying to say that that's, you know, doesn't the case otherwise, but it seems to me that CCP is really trying to force other types of play styles, especially in wake of the fact that, um, sorry, in light of the fact that they've buffed Phoenixes and modified Moroses, you know, as controversial as that was in recent changes. That seems to me what they're really trying to do is, you know, force players to essentially shake up the meta, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks like they're trying to bring the Revelation down it to where the Moros and Nagalfar are. The Phoenix, due to how missiles work, still needs a bit of stuff that doesn't really fit into how Dreadnoughts are usually used that well. But it looks like this is tr- oh, an attempt to bring uh, the Revelation down to where the Nagalfar and Moros are. All right, there's one more thing, Ash. Do you want to cover it? It's the Stasis Web Probe. No, there's well, there's two there's two other things. Oh, First of all, there's going to be a pretty big change to the stasis webification probe. Uh, this is uh, actually it should have been listed as part of the interdictors thing. So, um, as part of a recent rework, interdictors have been given an additional little tool. Um, they got the old uh, the supercarrier web bomb AOE web uh, spheres. So now they can have these interdiction or web interdiction. What are they called? Wubbles? Wubbles. Web bubbles. Um, And these are now going to be increased from 30% to 50%. So that is uh, over a 50% uh, increase in their effectiveness. And this is what's got a lot of hack players 
uh, sort of freaked out about because uh, being able to just blow that up and and web down an entire uh, group is a really good way of dealing with somebody who thinks that they're going to be kiting you. Um, and then it's also had its effective range increased from 10 kilometers to 15 kilometers. So it's it's also had a 50% increase in its size. So uh, these are going to be incredibly oh, effective wow. um, at, at snaring down a group if you can get one of the one of these interdictors that now have uh, armor bonuses and uh, maneuverability bonuses increased. So they're going to be even e tankier, even easier to stick onto you. And uh, once they stick onto you, they're going to make you sticky and not move. And they're and they're, uh, the, they're the only ones that can deploy these uh, s slow bombs, basically, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, uh, keep in mind they're also deploying bubbles too, and that's what is, holds most fleets down is interdiction bubbles. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. The thing about these web bubbles is that when they were added, it was pointed out that it it basically reinforces the micro warp drive shield hack meta because uh munins and and Cer munin and cerberus are ships that are fast enough that with micro warp drive on that they can escape uh from the bubble radius before uh uh they get bogged down but something like a zealot or afterburner armor hacks are going to be stuck right but the thing is especially if it's a micro warp drive reliant fleet then it's much easier to use some like Lachesis with ex extra extreme scr scram range or something like that to pull ships off of the group one by one. I and I have to say, as a wormholer, now that the essentially the web bubble is um, is essentially almost the same um, web strength as a tech two web, it's ten percent less than a tech two web. Uh, it's very very glaring. For me to, you know, ignore the fact that it's, uh, you know, not only is it a, you know, a fifty percent increase in range, but it's also, you know, um, and and sixty or fifty-five, sixty percent increase in web strength. So it's, um, I can definitely see that these would be, I can definitely foresee that these would be used to to grab a small group and either there's either ratting in wormholes or, you know, sitting on top of a wormhole or something of the sort for sure. There's another thing here which is pretty interesting, which I hope to see happen, which is the fact that this now gives an interdictor a very interesting role if you're trying to move around, especially as a battleship fleet. Because now, with the increase of range and the increase in effectiveness, one of these wobbles could be used to uh, <laughs> web, web an entire an entire battleship fleet into warp because it's 15 kilometers wide, and you appear 12 kilometers away from the gate. So it won't work with regional gates; these are too big. But if you <laughs> if you immediately crash gate while everybody else hits a line, and after 10 exactly 10 seconds, you hit your wobble, they'll all warp in 10 seconds. Yep. It could definitely be used as a uh, defensive measure to get your fleet off in a wormhole space, or uh, mm -hmm. you know, anything of the sort. And well, and then and then because it's and then because it's an interdictor, it will be able to just enter into warp and probably land with the fleet before the fleet even gets there, because it's going to be warping at interdictor speed, not battleship well, speed. Yeah, I I think that requires too much coordination mm -hmm. to. Uh, I, right. I that would be really interesting, but that I don't think the. It'll be, I think that requires too much coordination to really expect that to happen very much. All right. All right. We're going, we're actually kind of off track here. We wanted to go through the stuff and then go back and discuss it. But I want to give, true. want to give Hayless a, 
Before you oh, go, sorry. I want to go give ahead. Hateless a chance to comment on that last thing, and then we'll we'll move on. Go ahead, Hateless. You were so going to say if something. If you had a few interdictors in fleet, they would ninety nine percent of the time be spread out enough that they just throw up bubbles right after the fleet, right after FC gives fleet warp. They just throw out the bubbles. Battleships warping. Yeah, that is right. awesome. Or when they're warping from grid to grid, FC goes or gives them the command, if we're warping off a grid, throw up the bubble. As soon as you see uh, FC has initiated warp, throw up the bubble and web the whole fleet into warp because it stays in a relatively small bubble of 2.5 kilometers. With 55% strength, that would pretty much more often than not just throw the fleet into warp. Yeah, for people that are kind of new to the game, uh, we'll have to explain that maybe at a different time. But if you warp your own fleet, it gets them into warp faster. Uh, we can web explain that. If you, sorry, web if you web your own fleet, not warp them. If you web yeah. your own fleet. Useful jump freighters. The, the explanation yeah. is very quick. Um, basically, in order to enter into warp, you have to have a, be going in the correct vector, going 70% of your maximum speed. Webbing cuts your maximum speed without cutting your agility and or your current speed, which means whatever your current speed is, is a larger percentage of your new maximum speed. So if you cut their speed in half, then you're basically doubling how fast they're going in their relative speed, and so they'll enter into warp faster. Okay. So, like a, a freighter, you align it, it needs to be going like what, uh, 10 meters a second under uh, seven, uh, uh, what, 80% web. It only needs to be going <laughs> 10 meters a second. It almost immediately accelerates to 10 meters a second. As soon as it gets webbed, it, it's now at its threshold, then it just goes right into warp. They literally warp backwards. So, now that we've buried the lead for like half of the episode, <laughs> let's talk about the thing that I think will have some of the more interesting impact um, for. Uh, going forward, which is the fact that CCP has been talking about making new deployables. And now we have the first one of these new deployables, which is a mobile Sino beacon. This uh, replaces the fact that like it used to be that, or it used to be that any ship can have a Sino as long as it could have enough fuel. And so, you know, having a ship that there's lights a Sino ready to go isn't too big of a deal. And then they nerfed it or they changed it. So that way only very specific ships can have Sinos and there are different, uh, you know, industrial Sinos and all that stuff. But now there's this deployable that if you deploy it and it can be deployed within tether range or anything like that, uh, after two minutes, it will effectively light a Sino that you and your fleet can use as it, and, uh, just like any other Sino. And then when it's done, it'll just burn out and be done. You can't scoop it up. Oh. So now non-Sino ships can at least bring a Sino, uh, but these are not something to be used in combat. They're more for logistical purposes. So I have two questions. How heavy are they? And how long is the deployment time? And two how minutes. are they to kill? Uh, easy. Health? They're made of paper? Like 100,000 health or what? I would imagine that they're probably going to share the same type and or they're going to share the same similar health pool as the uh, Sino and Hib. I would imagine that it's probably going to be something. Sino and Hibs are no. You can keep them alive quite well with uh, with the facts on grid. Yeah, uh, this is closer to like a mobile tractor unit. Okay. Okay, so like in the, the 20,000 20, HP range so that like if, if you shot it with a few ships, it'd die. Yeah, well, CCP said, did specifically said that they're trying to keep it for non-PVP-oriented uh, purposes. Right, that, that keeping these things off of the grid would be relatively easy to do. Okay. Yeah, they'll still be used to move fleets around, but not for hot drops. Right. Like, uh, so I, imagine I think they be, would... These will be I built think, by 
hang on a second. Uh, to answer a question here from BK uh, MV, I won't say the whole name. Uh, he likes this one. Where can he buy the BPO for it? Is that something that will be out there? We don't have that information yet. That'll be I, that's something that'll be given in a in a detail in a follow up. I'm pretty sure. I suspect if uh, CC if CCP follows their current iteration of what they're doing, I would imagine that the I I guess maybe this is probably more wishful thinking. Um, I would hope that they would do it as an exploration uh, BPC. That there's no BPO for it. Um, that there's a uh, there's a bottleneck for the BPCs that you find in exploration because that would these things are going to be uh huge for nullsec alliances another another interesting take on this is that it's also going to be a huge suck um on um pi on pi materials because all deployables use pi and i expect that it's going to be the same thing where it requires pi so um you know i can definitely see that pi is going to be making uh you know somewhat of maybe of a comeback uh again wishful thinking that you know maybe it uh ends up being more of a sink into one of those materials so um but uh hmm. they they either make a bpo for it or they don't um if they don't make a bpo for it i would imagine that it's probably going to be hidden behind data sites okay we'll have to see does um, that we, does that you have anything else on the overview because we're going into analysis all over the place yep, you're right you're right you're right you're right um so, i think that sure. that's it for for the sino beacon that, of what we know about it so far for okay yes. so quick quick review for the audience just to say what's in here and you can see this uh if you go ahead and click on the um update but the uh, they're going to redo the bastion module for marauders and have some changes there web uh, sorry, stasis web probe that belongs to interdictors is being improved considerably. Uh, and interdictors looks like they're getting a little more balance passed. They were balance passed before recently, and this is just kind of correcting some things. And the revelation also is getting nerfed a little bit to put it more in line with the other dreadnoughts. And that's what's coming in this patch. There's one more thing that's not listed here, and that is the new uh, beacon for jumping. And that's a There's a second thing that wasn't in the blog post that's in Hobaleaks that's interesting. It's a small quality of life improvements for the monitor. The ship, the monitor. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. Uh, no, the uh, so the Sino Beacon is actually listed. It's the last thing. In addition to these changes oh. next week, you can also try out the new deployable my, mobile Sinosaurus Beacon on the test server. This personal deployable takes two minutes to come online, at which time it'll t activate a Sino beacon, allowing other capsuleers and jump drive capable vessels within the same fleet to jump or bridge to the beacon's location. Yeah, there's not there's nothing here in the notes though. It ends with revelation, but uh, okay, I think it's in yeah, the it's at the it's at the top. It's at the top block. They don't have yeah, they don't have any actual details about the uh, about the new probe beyond that little block. I got it. Okay, so. We've talked a lot about things and how they'll theoretically be used or not used or, or whatever, but um, the big deal here is a possible change in the meta away from AHAX, it looks like. That would be a significant change to the game. Most people yeah, like Assault it, Hacks. Armor Hacks. Go ahead. The meta already heavily favored Shield Hacks in Nullsec, but some smaller alliances and like Volta, which is, I guess, a medium-sized alliance now, and 
low-sec guys like dock workers uh, used uh, zealots and other armor fleets. And while this doesn't really affect uh, low-sec, this would mean that uh, Volta's armor hack fleets would be not would be a lot less effective. It's also worth noting that, like, uh, CSP Rise also posted in his update about Bastion of War that they had a, a, another hack change from the original version, but the CSM raised good points, and so they removed it, and that they're revising it, and we'll get it in ASAP. So even if, beyond just the threat that this change itself represents, there's kind of that, you know, the the the, the sword hanging above the head like we know that we know that the swing is coming, we right. just don't know what it looks like yet. Right, and you you hear this uh, from Dan Dan Cook says a thing that everybody says in Eve Online these days, which is hacks online, meaning everybody's in these uh, heavy assault cruisers hack uh, because they're so effective. They can pull range, they can dictate range in a battle, uh, and if you get enough of them, they pack a wall up, uh, and they're pretty hard to kill. So, not not to mention their incredibly high resist profiles, making lodging incredibly powerful with them. Right. Yeah, especially with the assault damage control module, which, when it's not active, is less effective than a regular damage control. But when you activate it, it becomes almost. It makes the, your ship almost invulnerable. It's a panic button, dude. I want to. In, hit... in addition to that, it, they also don't have the penalties of T three cruisers, which is the the skill point loss, like. If you feel if you force your or if you ask your entire fleet to field T three cruisers and then you lose some of them, that isn't just something that you have to replace. You have to now worry about replacing the skill points. And while skill injectors do exist, if you have high skill point people, that can be extremely inefficient. So um, it's it's way easier to just be like we can just crank out munins all day. Yeah, honestly, I think they should get rid of skill point loss to make T threes more viable as an alternative. Not going down that rabbit hole. That's a whole nother rabbit hole. What's up, okay, let's, let's go. I want to go back to something that uh, Hateless said. I think it's an interesting point, and I think it's a, it's a good opportunity to talk about this. Tell me why resist profiles, what they are, first of all, help logistics. Okay, so it's really basic. As your resistance goes up, each point of resistance uh, going from uh, after about 50%, each point is more valuable than the last, uh, going from 75% to 80% is a really good example. Uh, so we'll, 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 we'll do an equivalent example. So 50 to 75% uh, brings you from one half damage to one quarter damage uh, taken. And then going from the, the next 5%, going from... Uh, 75% to 80% brings that damage from one quarter to one fifth, just adding 5%. The next 5% brings it to 85. You take 15% of the total damage. Can't remember what the math equals out to, but that's like one sixth or one seventh of the total damage that you take. And if you get to 90%, you're literally taking one tenth. So as your percentage goes up, the way that the math works out, uh, logistics gets exponentially more powerful because logistics is repaired at a flat rate compared to uh, uh, your, yeah, it, it's repaired at a flat rate. So you're going to get the same amount of rep per cycle, but the higher percentage resist means that you will get uh, effectively more health per cycle. And you're literally conducting your cat. Insanely high natural resist, which makes them uh, very good at stacking resistances. Yeah. A good example is the Munin and the Vagabond because they're Mimitar. They have stacked EM thermal resist. They're very good against zealots. 
because zealots do EM thermal damage, and their natural resist makes them really strong against that. So it's just kind of something that happens. Well, right. So I, so there's two pieces ahead. to that. One is is that like even if you have just 50% resists, that's the equivalent of doubling the effectiveness of any logistics, period. Um, but then at its highest level, it gets magnified extremely. So as he was saying, like 90 to 91%, that may seem like only 1%, but it's actually... 10% of effectiveness because you know you go from taking 10% of the damage to 9% of the damage so from how much damage you're actually taking in it's reduced by one tenth. but even at 90% you're literally multiplying the logistical value of the incoming logi by 10 times because thanks to your resistance and the hacks in particular t2 not only have really good resistances but they tend to have really good resistances against their enemy empire um, which also tends to give them good resistances towards what that naturally is bad against right like the amar's natural resistance type or natural damage type is em therefore the mimitar t2 ships even though shields are usually really bad at em actually have really good em resistances uh, mm -hmm. likewise exactly likewise uh the caldari have the same thing with thermal um and so you combine that with the thing like the ADCU, which is effectively a giant panic button that raises your resistances sky high for a period of time uh, you basically you 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 maximize the effectiveness for logistics to keep your fleet alive, which is really really important because especially when you're talking about a fleet on that level, when you have fleets of that size, then basically um, it almost doesn't matter how little or mu much damage each ship has, because you have so many of them, it's just about pointing them all in the correct direction and yeah. if you have enough of them then you'll you'll cross the threshold all so right. if you can keep your guys alive and and kill theirs you can basically guarantee that there's going to be no like it, it's a very one-sided victory all right ask a basic question get a complicated answer out of you guys but i love it there's a lot of <laughs> we went, so we're much in the analyst, we're in the analyst portion right so much knowledge you can't like every little bit counts but seriously this this is how deep eve goes for anybody who's uh, basic okay so let's go back now and actually look at some of the stuff i think hateless brought some uh, stuff to look at let's talk about bastions of war i i want to show off how strong the new bastion module is uh with the screenshots that i gave you do you want me to present them and explain what they are or do you want to show them and i'll kind of try I, I have it ready. I can just switch my screen transfer. Yeah, go, you, you go ahead, share your screen. I'll stop sharing mine, and that just makes it easier for you. Um, and it will focus in on yours. That's That looks great. Sorry, the cat's getting into the treats. It's not good. Uh, so <laughs> what, wait is, a minute. What kind of treats are we talking about here? <laughs> are those the treats that will make them hungry all day long? Cat treats. Oh, okay. Cat treats. Uh, that cat is very food motivated. And mm. normally I hide it behind a candle because she doesn't <laughs> like, pick up on it with a candle, but the candle's not lit. So she's kind of going after it. All right. So I, I went you. on the server and decided to check out uh, how powerful this actually is. This is my standard mission running Kronos. And in Siege, it's going to end up making 3,255 uh, DPS. Uh, and that is literally double what it makes. Uh, and so I decided to check out the other Marauder. So this was with four faction mag stabs and void ammo. Uh, next up, we have the actual, uh, what the Bastion module actually looks like on the test server right now. The uh, turret damage bonus is incorrectly being uh, represented. It's a minus 50% to gun cycle time is what I'm thinking that they're meaning to portray with that. Um, 
with that uh, line there, but they incorrectly did it. And then uh, the other factor that's really important here is the uh, activation time duration got changed to 90 seconds, uh, which we had mentioned before. And that's that that's a big deal because they're going to be stuck. Uh, whenever they commit, they're going to be stuck 50% uh, longer. Uh, the next thing that we wanted to show off is the uh, Paladin. We have four T2 heat sinks on it. And of course, the siege module with the conflagration, and it's doing 2,400 DPS. And the crazy thing about conflagration is that it its range is really good. Sorry, the cat's making a mess <laughs> over here. Uh, the the range for pulse guns are really good. Uh, the fall off on the ship is around 40 kilometers, and it's doing 2,400 damage uh, out to a solid range. And that's just insane. And that's just with four mag stabs, not polarized, just standard with four mag stabs. This fits really easy to pull off. Uh, and then we have my invasion uh, Varger using hail with three faction mag stabs, also doing 2,400 damage. Uh, right now on the test server, we found that the golem at the time of me checking it out was not receiving the benefit. This is just me showing off that the torpedoes weren't being affected at, at, at the moment, but with a base of 14, 18 DPS, uh, we should see 2,800 DPS out of the Golem uh, with uh, four Ballistics Controls and standard torpedoes, which is insane with Rage. With the recent torpedo uh, buff that happened, I feel like Golems are going to be super popular after this patch. So there's uh, there's some interesting uh, implications in that. Um, it almost, there are some people have pointed out that maybe this was on purpose, because Golem is already the Golem is already a very popular PVE ship in terms of uh, you know getting stuff done in high sec missions or essentially any kind of mission running stuff. Uh, I wonder if maybe CCP did in fact do this on purpose in order to try to buff the other three Marauders in order to uh, you know try to even them out and um, maybe get them to be um, on the same playing field to a certain extent. Because uh, if you gave um, you know, objectively, if you gave rate of fire bonus to the um, the golem, um, it, it essentially would just be in the same situation that you are now. You could use the other marauder, sure, but objectively, in a lot of regards, you know, the um, golem would be a better option. That would so. be so far out of balance, and it would be a huge nerf for the golem. I don't think that that is a reasonable thing that they would do. That just doesn't make sense. So yes, it makes yeah. sense that the golems torpedoes are 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 powerful, and their uh, torpedoes in general are in a really strong spot right now. Uh, it doesn't make sense for them to nerf the golem in such a hard way and not bring back the other marauders a little bit from there. Yeah, I was one of the ones that was suggesting the fact that the golem is currently doing really really good, and so it would make sense if the bonus is going to be like. Uh, but but this is such a big change. This isn't like a four percent tank bonus or or like a six percent application bonus. This is double damage. Like you don't like this is fundamentally changing how uh, a lot of PVE is going to be carried out because Marauders go from being a good contender to being absolutely stupid in a lot of different situations if you can get away with using Bastion, um, which is going to be an interesting one. Um, so I do have more on that presentation. We got caught up on the golem there. Sure. Yeah. Sorry, I'm being raided by cats. This is not <laughs> like you're made out of catnip or something. <laughs> okay, uh, so here we go with this. Uh, the next slide in the presentation is uh, polarized neutron blasters. 
because of course that's where my mind goes. I love the Kronos. Uh, that rid of fire that you see. We can't there? see your screen, by the way, if you want to. Oh, it should be. There we go. Now you should be able to see it. Yeah, we can see it. Thanks. Um, so the rate of fire is 1.66 seconds. That is equivalent to the rocket armor that I used to kill anomic teams. That That is frigate gun rate of fire. So non-polarized would be right around two seconds. That That's small gun rate of fire on large weapons. Um, wow. I'm going to have a couple of you guys, maybe uh, if you're watching on YouTube, uh, guess what DPS this makes, put in the comments or something. Or those in Twitch chat. Uh, put in the comments how much dps you think that this will make it is the same fit that we showed earlier it's the uh the uh, mission marauder that had 3600 dps how much dps do you think this is going to make once we polarize it and five four. lord says 4k wanda 4800 so whoa nodal says 6800 all right here we go makes 4,069 DPS. Very nice. And that's without any crazy things. That's four meg stabs. You can get more out. Uh, I did see one screenshot of one of these things making 6,400 DPS on the test server. Oh, so much. That's a good way to punch something in the face. I mean, that, like that, that just about hits damage cap on, uh, on a Raichiru, I think, right? Yep. And then if you overheat it, it makes four, six, seven, nine. That's a good point. So this could be a good structure destroyer for the smaller structures. Mm -hmm. I, if you, I mean, if you want to fly around in your polarized Marauder, go for it. It has thirty thousand EHP. Yeah, I wouldn't use the. I wouldn't use a polarized Marauder simply because that would be a very expensive kill mail for what it's uh what it provides. They they are incredibly fun to fly for mission running. I'm just gonna say that. And uh, with this buff, I feel like full clearing missions might be a viable thing to make income. That's why I wanted to yeah. hear from you, because I used to use a Marauder to run missions, and it was the best time I had running missions. And I was going to ask you if this was this, if this was a return of the Marauder to missions. It's definitely going to make my Paladin interesting. It's definitely going to make mission running uh, in a uh, kind of an unoptimized way a lot more profitable. Uh, and there will be a reason to go into a Marauder versus, say, uh, uh, a Barkest or a Macariel. Uh, whereas the Marauder didn't really get more DPS than the other pirate ships. Uh, and now it it does. And so there's a, an actual reason. Did I not do the right? Okay, I did. Um, but there is actually now a reason to want to get a Marauder over the other battleships. In the fact that it has more DPS. Uh, for Blitzing, I'm not sure it's going to be worth it because the amount of time that you actually spend in Siege is quite long. But for the bigger full clears, full clear missions, it would definitely be a strong alternative uh, and and new thing that can do. Also, I believe CCP's aim at this is to give people a new tool for ratting uh, that isn't quite as... Uh, big or influential as a capital. I mm -hmm. think this is aimed more towards ratting in various ways, uh, especially wormholes. Uh, ratting have the armor bonuses and what or the armor or shield bonuses. And then also in Nullsec, uh Havens are probably gonna do really well with this. Mm -hmm. Um it just the sheer amount of DPS is fantastic for ratting. Uh you can't ignore that. All of the new PVE sites, um any of the event sites, um and the uh, invasion-style sites, uh, both in and out of Poshvin, are tuned in such a way that these things are going to 
you know, like I already fly my pallet in a lot in, in doing uh, Edencom sites and stuff. And this is just going to be, make these things so much better in exactly the way that the, that these kinds of players want, because being able to do increase your, your cycle time, increasing damage often won't matter because so much damage is wasted in any given shot when it comes to battleship weapons and killing things. But rate of fire means you're killing things faster. Rate of fire means that you're swapping to things faster. Um, and so, and more importantly, rate of fire means clearing things faster, which is what these players are, are, are thinking about a lot. Uh, Marauders also already have some really good synergy with that in the fact that they have the four, they, or they have a bonus that makes it so that their guns are already twice as good. So mm -hmm. they have half as many guns in order to allow them to have more utility highs. Um, and so this really pulls into synergy with that, where those twice as many guns are also now even twice as twice as good um now and also it makes it so that the negative side of that where it now uses more ammo is only half as effective because it only uses half as you know half the normal amount of ammo normally and it has a big cargo bay to be able to hold all that extra ammo um the so the, thing, the, the double rate of fire is going to bring their ammo consumption in line with the standard battleships oh yeah right, that's exactly. a really good point Right, exactly. So, but it, they still have a massive cargo bay to make up for it. Yeah. Um, but all, the thing that I think that is the biggest like miss out of all of this was that uh, of all of the things that I, I know a lot of Marauder pilots, I'll, I'll put it that way, uh, that do them in various different places. And the number one complaint that I get from them is there is no Bastion two. Uh, the Bastion module. Uh, is a Bastion Module 1, which seems to imply that there should be a Bastion Module 2. Um, so why isn't there this Bastion Module 2? And, and at the same time, there's also no skill that affects the Bastion Module, which makes it feel really weird in comparison to a lot of the other modules of its type. So I really would have liked this to be an opportunity to circle back on that and kind of flesh out that, that progression uh, and balance that out a little bit more. But uh, instead, we're, we're, we're just going to be still stuck in that same scenario. Yeah, there, there, there's definitely room for something to happen there. I, I, I would agree. You know, All it's right. interesting that you guys uh, said the things about the, you know, that it's essentially going to, you know, by proxy means that these DPS buffs are going to buff PVE because CCP said that they were specifically in these um, scenario in in this particular patch they were specifically looking at buffing PVP for these because they, uh, and I quote. They said that they believe that uh, Marauders are currently in a really good spot PVE-wise, and they weren't looking to change that. They're, they're, so uh, I interpreted that differently. I, I interpreted it, it, that as they were wanted to make, improve uh, their, the PVE niche that Marauders have, since a lot of people don't think they're worth the extra cost over something else. I'm not sure where your quote came from, but CCB Rise on, on Reddit said, keep the Marauder feedback coming and we'll make as many tweaks as possible before release. But bear in mind, these changes are not meant to make them PvP-focused class. They have a healthy spot in PvE and we want to make them feel more rewarding in that role and maybe extend it to non-high-sec PvE. If we get more PvP interest, well, and as well, that is a bonus. And that's where yeah, I use so, them. I mean, my, yeah, that... my, whole experience, my whole experience with Marauders wasn't going out like... Uh, 
uh, Grath, Talcan, Talcan, for instance, would go out in a Marauder, just going out to destroy it. He would basically go and roam alone by himself in a Marauder until he found a gang that would kill him, and he would kill everything before that. But I actually only ever used it in Empire Space, and actually mostly high sec, if I remember correctly, to just kind of roam around and destroy uh, missions or whatever, and uh, and haul in all the the wrecks and um, you know salvage them right there. It was kind of like what that romantic vision of what a marauder should be. It's like a, a solo ship out there that can destroy things and then salvage the wrecks it's like a little little like your own company you know and that's exactly what the marauders have always been like see uh, players you know try to always look at things through this pvp lens but you know there's hundreds of ships in eve and and lots and lots of different types of ships and in essence battleships kind of have a clunky position in pvp anyways um especially where you know like if you want to like not bump too hard against dreadnoughts not you know etc etc they're they're too too slow for subcap fighting and they're too uh underpowered for capital fighting basically right but they do Mm -hmm. represent basically the apex of secure space right like the marauder is the is the tech two that you would move up into if you enjoy like two billion isk battleship content uh which you know for better or worse often is is conducted in secure space so either you can secure your wormhole you can secure your null sec pocket or yeah. you operate in high sec space that's where you're going to see those things be used yeah. they're not designed to be just like rolling around and yoloing um without you know or if you do you should know exactly what to expect uh, hateless you said something i really keyed into there you said non-optimized pve yeah, so the thing is, is when you start optimizing things like mission running, abyss, or I guess they can't go in abyss, but uh, in invasions and incursions, you figure out this kind of thing that speed is king. Being able to get to and from an obje- objective, being able to navigate in space from objective A to B. Uh, or on a grid, uh, getting around, th- that speed is invaluable. It's more valuable than DPS. Uh, and it certainly is more valuable than tank because you can solve tank and DPS issues in other ways. Um, but there are ships that are fast, and even with this increase in DPS, uh, I do not foresee them replacing the roles that those faction ships fill simply because of their navigation ability. However, uh, this is a lot of DPS, and that's really cool, and people are going to yes. have a lot of fun with it. Feels good. Collecting bounties from rats because they can. And there's a lot of content in high sec that has been deemed not worth doing because you can't quite do it or clear it fast enough. I think Marauders are really going to shine with the increase in DPS that they have. Oh. And Exa- example of that? Um, I really, so something that I've been doing a lot lately. So my, my, my first thought goes to hunting Razdenborg in high sec. Um, the amount of DPS that these things are going to be able to make at like 100 kilometers is going to be mental. The rate of fire is going to be mental. Imagine, rather than trying to keep ships alive with Logi, you warp in at 100 kilometers because the way that these NPCs work and how they behave, they don't warp off and come back. They fly directly at you. You have zero tracking. You just nuke them out of the sky. Just a firing squad. Straight on the meat grinder, moral warp in. You throw them out of the meat grinder. It, it just 
there's a lot of potential for him to do things like that. Uh, and with the increased CPS, I was debating whether or not I should do that before. And now it's kind of like a no brainer. Like let's, let's do it this way. Cause this way makes more sense than to try and uh, get them to uh, actually fight and brawl with them. How I have been. Uh, that's just one example. Uh, I think that they'll be exceptionally good in Havens out in Nolsec after this buff. Uh, I also think that uh, for mission running, they're just going to eat missions alive. Uh, there, there isn't going to be a mission that a Marauder can't handle, even level fives. Because the big scary part about level fives is there's so many NPCs, they start doing so much damage. Now you can DPS tank the level fives with the sheer amount of DPS that these things can make at range. So we might be seeing them in low sec too all the time. Uh, the only risk is that you the siege is now 90 seconds. So whether or not you're paying attention to local or, or what's going on in the system around you, uh, there is a window of opportunity, but the cool thing is, is a Marauder can hold its own against a lot, and with the tools that they have at their disposal, they're surprisingly slippery and able to evade capture. Mm -hmm. uh, and that makes it a really exciting thing to give them uh, uh, the extra tool of extra DPS. You've totally sold me on that, by the way. That romantic vision oh. of you yourself in space able to handle like these NPCs at a slower pace, non-optimized, but you're, you're trashing everything and you're collecting the bodies as you move along mission to mission. That's sort of thing. I'm totally sold so, on that fantasy. Hateless. When you mentioned po the possibility of running Havens and null anomalies with it, you made every blobs hunter listening smile. Yes. And I am 100% sure people will be running them in null. The, um, the the thing is is that you have to catch it. You're gonna have to hold on to it uh, until your your backup or the rest of your fleet arrives. If you're a fleet fleet or uh, 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 if you're coming out of wormhole and, and and you're a black ops hunter, obviously you're gonna be able to kill it. But a marauder can hold its own against pretty much anything that can come out of a yeet filament, uh, except for another group of marauders or a, a, another group of battleships. But most commonly, yeet fleets or fleets that come through with yeet filament are cruisers or or uh, uh, battle cruisers. So marauders are surprisingly capable uh, with the DPS and tank that they had before to hold their own against a lot. So I think that they're definitely, uh, I think Suetonia's word is a beacon of um, a beacon of content that can happen. Because there will need to be a fight for a Marauder every time that one is caught. Because it's not an auto win. Uh, they have a lot of tank. They, they, they Depending on how they're fit, depending on uh, it, whether they're using implants or not, there's a huge variance in how powerful a Marauder is. And like baby capitals. Uh, they vary from uh, 500 HP a second to upwards to 3,000 HP a second and resist from 50 to 90. Like, nice. they have an insane leave large variance in how much they can tank depending on how much the pilot put into the ship let me, let me ask addition, tiberius the bastion also gives really strong uh sorry e-war resistances yeah. so a lot of the ways that a smaller fleet would disrupt uh something like a battleship like this oh, yeah. the uh the marauder actually can slough that so it can actually defend itself against an attacking fleet significantly better than a lot of other ships yeah uh you can't ecm a marauder it doesn't work <laughs> Can you newt? Can you newt it? Uh, so Absolutely. they're 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 vulnerable to newts. They're they're incredibly vulnerable to newts. That's that's their biggest weakness. Is that they can... they're basically baby dreads. Yeah. Um. But now more they, than ever, <laughs> they siege. Uh, remote impedance and remote assistance is disallowed. 
So that means that they can't be sensor damped. They can't, I think they can be target painted. It's like 95% target paint and 95% sensor damp. It's something like that. And they can't be ECM'd. So they will be able to swing back at you regardless of what you bring. And they are a threat. They, a, a Marauder in the hands of a good pilot is definitely a threat to anything that tries to attack it. I love hearing that, like a Marauder should. I wanted to ask about wormholes, though, Tiberius. Do you see uh, how, how useful are Marauders in wormholes, and do you see this changing that? So in the current iteration, that is uh, the before CCP puts this patch through, um, Marauders have been used in the past um, as kind of like a proof-of-concept ship um, and maybe even more as like a, a risk averse ship. So before um, before the From Wormholes with Love patch, um, the sight rats would not scram you. They would only point you, which means that a ship, uh, you know, battleship fleets could micro jump drive away and they would essentially be safe. Um, now, uh, because they can't, they get scrammed and they can't micro jump away. It's essentially just it's maintains itself as a proof of concept uh, fleet where you can run uh, subcap ships. Uh, sorry, you can run the uh, the subcap escalation wave, but you most of the time you can't run the uh, um, the drifter boss. Um, I honestly don't think that it's going to change much of anything. However, um, I have seen a couple of people post videos and success stories where they've done it um, with refit. They can do the drifter boss. Um, they can essentially do a C5 site in an hour um, with a, uh, with a Varger with a refit. So that would be the subcap escalation plus the, the drifter boss, which is um, about 620 mil or 600, 600 to 650 mil, depending upon what, what site that you're in. So um, I, I've got one question. You, you're in wormholes a lot, so you're familiar with dread ratting with the uh, yeah. Hodreds. These have potential to match or out DPS Hodreds. They absolutely do. Um, however, comma the um, Hodreds. So the way that C5 sites are currently set up, and the the you you actually said something that's very apt uh, when it comes to running uh, high class wormhole sites, which is that. Um, I, I honestly believe that dreads are going to continue to be the optimal way of doing it. Um, I can't remember what your phraseology was, um, but this is essentially this, this has the potential to be a jack of all trades ship. Um, but if you don't, you know, so where you can run the subcat sites and if you have a refit, maybe you can get it to work. Um, but I don't, I don't think that this has the the potential to run to, to remove uh, capital ships because uh, the the C5 sites, the optimal way of doing it with three characters is two capital fit or two capital fit dreads and one uh, high angle fit weapon uh, dread. Um, and you position yourselves with bookmarks to essentially reduce your tracking to zero so that the capital ships, uh, so that the capital weapons can track the battleships. Um, and you clear the site relatively quickly while the other uh, haw dread um, mops up the rest of the site. So I don't think that that is going to replace dread ratting in the least bit. Mm -hmm. I think that it 
you don't think that maybe the Hadred might be replaced by a Marauder? Because they're tracking on... No, I mean, you could... Better. I guess you could um, in certain instances, but I I don't know. I just... Uh, I don't I don't foresee it because the you still have the drifter boss to deal with and while the capital dreads are still going to be um you know the primary site DP or the primary site DPS against the drifter boss, I don't think that you're going to um see that I don't think that you're gonna see it uh, change unless I'm completely missing something, you know, with what I'm seeing on paper. Um I don't think that it's going to change um how it works because the way that sites work currently is that um, you're supposed to use the capital dreads to blitz the site triggers as fast as possible so that you can maintain all of your zero transversal, you know, so that the battleships, you know, get zero transversal and that the capital dreads can mop them up as quickly as possible. Um, and if you get switched to while you're on a Marauder, in the site with capital dreads doing you know exactly that it's just going to get alpha and destroyed the the tank is just not going to be able to keep up because you're talking you know if you get one you're you're talking like sometimes you would get one two or three waves three yeah three waves worth of um sleepers inside of a site you're you're talking you know 10,000 dps in some instances uh, in certain sites so i i I personally don't foresee them replacing in that meta. I don't foresee them replacing Haldreds at all. Um, I could definitely see like um, like a Marauder gang maybe possibly doing like a roaching fleet, you know, four or five Marauders running out and having refits and doing stuff like that. But I, I firmly believe that the optimal way of running wormhole sites will remain Dreads. Uh, Okay. Yeah, it's yeah. good to get somebody who actually knows a thing or two about it to speak up on it. So yeah, I've heard of C four residents who want to uh, solo sites in the C five stack using paladins in the past. To do, do you think this will open it up for other types of? I marauder? think I think that um, it, I think that you could reasonably argue that you could do. Um, C4 sites in a Marauder, especially since that you get the bonus to um, the the micro jump drive, and you can micro jump around the site. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of, uh, for lack of a better word, prima donnas that would you know turn their nose up at that. Um, yeah, like, I think that there's definitely a proof of concept that you that could be accomplished there. Yeah, what I'd specifically been hearing was well was uh c4 residents use it since they can't bring caps into the C their c5 static uh using marauders to solo sites in there yeah um so that's that has happened before but again um in a lot of instances uh, the prevailing logic in the wormhole community is well why don't you just spend an extra bill and then just go dread rat and c5s and make literally double if not triple the value of uh of doing it um in a lot of instances it's you know you it's probably if you've already trained into a marauder you only really need like an extra 30 to 45 days in order to it's, get into a viable pve dread it's two skills in like 
15 it's three skills if you haven't trained another dread but it's literally two skills it's the dreadnought skill and the gun skill is right, exactly dreadnought requires advanced well also command the and... uh the logistics they're not the logistics but the the tactical yeah. weapons configuration yeah. reconfig so yeah for yeah that, that's what i said another dread um because right. of tactical logistics reconfiguration but yeah it, it's really three skills more than a marauder right so, but yeah, again, the the prevailing logic is that while it sure it can be accomplished as a proof of concept theory, uh, but again, the prevailing logic has always been, well, you know, just spend a little extra time training and maybe a little extra money and just go, you know, dread rat and C fives and literally make double, if not triple, the isk that you would be if you were running a solo marauder in a C four. That makes sense. Um, so one point I know this is a little off topic from wormholes. But uh, one of the viewers was saying, how do you guys think that uh, dreads will, or not dreads, uh, marauders will be performing in the ESS on defensive and offensive roles? They Good can't question. get in, right? No, they, the yeah, they can. Yeah, no, they can. Okay. Uh, they will be the biggest thing that can go into an ESS. Uh, they are, uh, they'll by far have the most tank of anything that can go in there, but they are not mobile. Uh, and right now the ESS, I believe the ESS um, meta is around being able to get around in there fast. But right. But it, what 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 matters about your mobility if you can touch anywhere in the in the battle zone, right? True. Like if you can just reach out and touch them no matter where they go, none of their maneuverability matters anymore. True. That that yeah, that senses quite a bit. You know, um, I. Uh... It, I would. It would be really interesting to see, like uh, maybe like a Tachyon uh, Paladin or a Rail Chronos uh, sitting oh, 150 power. kilometers off, and you know, plinking away at whatever shows up inside of the ESS. Uh, the Chronos. All right. Well, that's a lot to think about. We'll cover this again on Sunday. We'll get Teutonia. We'll have Hateless and uh, a few other guests to talk about uh, some of the theory crafting we might go. Uh, into this. We'll also talk about it after it actually gets launched and see what people actually did with it and that sort of stuff. Uh, before we take off, Astrothi, there was something that happened in Poshven, some kind of a big battle. Yeah, I'm still collecting uh, a bunch of information about this, but basically, just in case people think that there's nothing um, going on in Poshven, there was actually a major fight uh, last week. I wish I had the link to it. Uh, ready for right now, but I don't. Mm -hmm. um, but it was like over 20 billion isk or more in ships that were. It was a, fi a fight over a structure. Basically, what it boils down to is is that there's a lot of entities that have taken up ownership of various different places in Poshvin, including uh, the ITC, Kybernauts, Strybog. Um, and a whole bunch of others, and then a bunch of other people that are less like connected to the Triglavian side, but are also interested in Poshvin, including a group called Catalyst for You and a few others. Um, and so the tension has been building up. And you know, as the number of structures dwindle in Poshvin, each structure is is really important. And while a lot of the structures in the early days were more or less abandoned because the people who originally owned them were no longer in, were not interested in what Poshvin like the 
the sphere of people that owned structures in Poshvin systems and the people that were interested in Poshvin didn't have very much crossover in that Venn diagram, if that makes sense. So a lot of those structures ended up being not seen as valuable and so being blown up. But now we're getting to the point where each one of those structures are kind of being controlled by people who give a crap about their, their territory. And so we're seeing increasing pressure and political allegiances, um, you know, as Poshvin begins to develop. So it'll be interesting mm. to watch Poshvin develop over the next couple of weeks. And Poshvin cartels, um, It's also worth right? noting, yeah, it's also worth noting that there are, um, there's actually a lot more content in Poshvin than a lot of people make out for. Uh, there are sites in Poshvin just like the old Triglavian uh, and Edencom sites, but there's actually sites that are related to rogue drones and sleeper drifters. Uh, especially if you want to get those positive standings with both Edencom and Triglavians to not have to worry about it in in, in known space anymore. Um, but also, uh, there we uh, I believe tomorrow we'll be discussing with uh, Dutch Gunner, who has published his work. In, he's been researching how to fight the new drifters in Poshvin, including how to deal with the drifter doomsdays. Um, so I'm really excited about that. I think that there is a lot of room for uh content to be had for people that are fighting those forces uh you know fight ccp seems to be really playing up the drifters as being the bb uh you know big bad guy within the storyline and so um you know engaging with that content might be more interesting for people and mm -hmm. hopefully if we can get people more interested in it that'll also encourage ccp to develop that plot line further cool so that being said there's immense rewards for pursuing poshvin as content uh you said that 20 bill is a big fight that's peanuts. i don't think it was 20 bill well that that's peanuts to them they they yeah. don't care that's that that that's like me losing a, a tech one battleship i it, it's not a big deal they it was, literally peanuts to them there was like 30 uh there was the 30 um or not 30 there was the 11 golems or whatever that got taken out once yeah, that twice now. Care. Uh, <laughs> well, but yeah, no, it's it was five point five billion on one side, eighteen billion on another side. Um, looks like they used Tengus, Scorpions, Megathrons, and such on one side, and Drekoviks, and then the other side had Munins, Serbs, and uh, Ravens. Yeah, as long as an objective wasn't lost, that's peanuts. Yeah. Yes, the the objective was secured, so so they saved the structure. So it's going to be interesting to see how this conflict continues to develop over time. Yeah, By they, the way, they, there are three. Yeah, anyway. yeah, yeah, yeah. There are three districts inside of uh, Poshvin, right? There's kind of like um, different personalities, yes. right? Has there's anything, three? What are they called? Cries. Three. Three. What? Cries. 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 It's it's, it's a Russian. It's a Russian word. It's kind of a jur regional jurisdiction, roughly equivalent to a county in the county. United States. Yep. So there's yeah, three. It's... There's three cries inside of Poshvin. They're all distinct. Has anything formed around them that distinguishes players? Are they kind of role playing a, a sub faction in there at all? Uh, well, for instance, I believe. And now I'm going to get some of the details wrong. It'll be tactical. It's OPSEC. Wah! But uh, I believe that <laughs> Kyronauts are mostly occupying, I want to say Cry Perun, whereas like Spar <clears throat> or, you know, Strybog are mostly occupying Cry Velez, I want to say. But so, you know, there are a little bit of like territory because to those of us that have standings within there, obviously we can move through there uh, independently. So each Cry is actually kind of its own space. Um, and 
but but more importantly, each system has their own story. Everything because the the systems that connect to them are based on the physical location of each system. So, for instance, there are people that hunt down specific systems wormholes every day to do content in that system. So uh, based well, on interesting. Hmm? Um, and then uh, so each store each system has their own stories, and some of these sto- systems are actually pretty unique. Uh, otherwise, like you know, there's Scarcon. Uh, which has incredible lore ramifications. There is um, the system that I can't think of right now, which is where Chappie's birthday w- happened. So now that's Tanunden. Yeah, Tanunden, um, uh, Vale, uh, and they have like they've developed it over time in the background story that like there's a lot of controversy about how each empire is dealing with the loss of their territory to Poshvin. Mm. Um, but as far as like how players are engaging with it, there is a lot of role-playing going on um, and kind of territorial division, but they're not necessarily like, we have Cry Velez, you have Cry Perun. There is some of that, but it's Die. mostly like, <laughs> we, can control, we can control this system and probably protect one to two systems in either direction. Yeah. If that okay. makes sense. So players aren't doing much with that, but some some of the storylines being developed uh, to talk about the locals adapting to their new counties inside of Poshvin. Right. Yeah. And right. the politics is still very young in this environment. So these guys, you know, like ultimately there's talks about various different groups banding together, but there's plenty of opportunity for treachery and all that stuff. So, oh, cool. so as I said, this is really one of those times to start paying attention to how this is going to be playing out because they've they've started deploying bigger and bigger fleets and are uh you know like people have kind of settled in now all right good yeah it's just getting started it sounds like all right so wormius there he's in uh sakenta i guess that's one of the systems inside of poshvin okay very cool thanks very much for uh we'll get more information on that and put it in our newsletter also uh Ashtarathi mentioned that we are going to have tomorrow dutch gunner here from arc and uh, he's going to talk about some drifter stuff. As was explained, he'll be here on tomorrow's show at this exact same time. Then Monday, we have a special treat. Also, a Dutch Gunner is a special treat. But on a Monday, we have another special guest. It'll be Antar Logan. He's in the news lately. He's the guy that basically was selling uh, intelligence or intel uh, for $12 billion. And we'll just get to the bottom of all that, talking to the man himself. And that will happen on Monday. There was one small thing ha- that happened today that we really should point out that, well, we over the weekend we pointed out that Pappy killed a Sotillo in Delve that was the first ever to have uh, died with that particular T2 rig. Uh, today, the Bastion killed a Testa Sotillo in Esoteria that was the first ever to die with a, a different T2 rig. And if you look at uh, so some of the items that dropped, which were from unfinished uh, uh, industry jobs, you can see some interesting stuff in there, like uh, the Doomsday mount that's being that's used for Titan production. So, rather than the interesting thing we saw from the previous one was that. It was built. Someone was building frigates with a T2 BPO, but today we can see so, that people were using this to build uh, super capital ships. Hmm. So, which uh, since uh, 
test uh, lost a few a month and a half ago is a very important thing. Yeah. Ouch for oh, ouch for tests. I didn't know they lost that. I guess it's in the notes. I need to look. One yeah, last. And, Go ahead. And uh, the the another small fight that occurred away from the war today was that Shadow Cartel uh, uh, had a dread fight in Genesis against uh, Baltram's Alliance 420 MLG. Those guys. Hmm. Okay. We also want to take you back to Ignoiton. We said we would talk about the current situation there. It looks like the armor timer was uncontested. Uh, so you can see the uh, super capitals here. These are capital ships actually headed for the uh, Keepstar in Ignoiton. Uh, here are the capital ships jumping in. Those are Titans and several of them. And here is the Keepstar actually getting uh, shot at. Let's see if we can't get you a better look at that. Uh, as you can see. So this was put into its uh, second timer. Uh, that was earlier today. I believe it was earlier today. Uh, ignoring that Keepstar is written off as dead already. Uh, so are those other structures. None of them have time to come down because they were attacked immediately upon uh, quick negotiations failing. And so these are basically considered abandoned. So that's, if you have anything there. Home. What's that? <laughs> that's That's my production home. Oh no, oh. you're one of the guys in there. Did you know this was happening? Uh, I learned about it today and uh, I actually had the first like 10, 15 minutes of the stream. I was actually coming and checking out the situation. I am currently in the process of extracting all my valuables. <laughs> oh yeah, my God. Make sure, you can make sure you cancel your job so they don't get to loot. Yep. How bad does this set you back? Oh, nothing. I just, I, I got to jump my jump freighter in and haul it out. It's not a big deal. Well, you still have time. I think after the armor timer is uh, 24 to 48 hours, I think, before... Uh... Right. But as soon as the armor timer, as soon as it goes into hull, then all of the services shut off. So any if he has a blueprint running at that time, it's now locked in. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Well, again, so all that... he's going to do about it, he has to do it before the armor timer is finished. I see. Um, before the reinforced cycle is finished, not the actual... Well, I guess it's the same thing. Anyway. Correct, yeah. If they if they if they reinforce it into hull and the service is shut off, he'll no longer be able to pull out his black blueprints that are in progress, and you also won't be able to pull out any clones that are in clone base. All right. All right, guys. Go ahead. That, that, that's Papa Hateless. Oh, <laughs> check hello, Mr. Hateless. Nice. I saw I think I saw your mom last time, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> so I know your cats. I know your dad now and your mom. It's good to meet him. Yep. All right. Well, uh, that's it for us today in Talking in Stations. Thanks very much for sticking around. A little extra long today because of the new content that's coming out. First look at it. We'll get more looks at it and talk about theories from different perspectives in the future. And I uh, want to say thanks to you guys that uh, gave us some subs uh, there earlier and some follows and all that good stuff. And again, we'll see you tomorrow with uh, some talk about Poshvin and how to take on the drifters in there from Dutch Gunner. And then on Monday, we'll have Antar Logan talk about uh, Intel in NullSec and how to get paid while you do it. Uh, I want to thank uh, Hateless, Ashtarathi, as always, Gregorin, and Tiberius. Thank you guys for weighing in on this. Uh, we will see you. you. We will see you next time. I'm talking Thank you stations. for having me. Uh, it's always good to be here. You guys all fly fun.
All right. See you guys.